Welcome, Keith. Thanks for joining us today. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Billy. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of curious, what is it like to be Keith Harrington? <laughs> you know, you said you were going to ask me that question, and I sort of chuckled. Um, I guess I should have prepared something to say. Um, I guess uh, it's busy and, and kind of fun, actually. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm lucky enough to do something that I'm, I'm super excited and super passionate about on a day-to-day -day basis. And, uh, and I'm even luckier to be able to have an impact in, in an ecosystem that I care about. So, um, you know, it's a, my life today is an, is an incredibly busy one. Uh, and way more time spent at home than, uh, than I would, would care for, frankly, at this point. Sure. Is your house cleaner like mine is after being home for so long? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> no. Actually, He's honest. It, it <laughs> I guess it would depend on, on, on the day. So I'm sitting in my, in my home office today uh, because we, we actually went back to the office in, in July uh, because in Kansas City, it just got to be safer. But then the numbers went all. Haywire again. So anyway, we came home again in, uh, in November and uh, my office was a mess. I got tired of it being a mess this past weekend. So I cleaned it. So right now it actually looks really good. Um, but uh, no, generally, no, I, I'm not much, but I'm messy. Well, I'm just messy. I guess enjoy it while you can. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Well, I also have Bailey and Alex on the phone. You guys want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, I'm Bailey Bannock. I'm a second year student in the KCUVF program, and I'm a fifth year PhD student uh, working on my PhD in bioengineering. And I'm really excited to talk to you today, Keith, hear a little bit more about your stories and then mm -hmm. how you landed in the wonderful world of venture capital. Yeah, sure. Well, it's, it's nice to meet you, and I'm, uh, I'm glad you're here. Thanks, Bailey. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> For everyone out there, uh, my name is Alex von Schultz. Uh, I'm a first year in the KCUVF program, um, and I actually just got my PhD in biology. Um, and likewise to what Bailey said, uh, Keith, super happy to have you here today. I'm really interested in what you guys are doing at Novel Growth Partners, so I'm really excited to dig into that. Yeah, Dr. Alex, that's what I'm going to call you for the rest <laughs> of the time. Yeah, Keith, we're, Congratulations. we're, uh, we're interested in you, Keith, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Wow. Uh, okay, so I am a uh, co-founder and managing director at Novel Growth Partners uh, here in Kansas City. So we are a revenue-based financing firm, which is a little bit different from your standard venture capital firm. Um, and I'm sure we'll dive into the details on that. But uh, rather than uh, decide to build a new venture firm, uh, my partner and I in 2017 and 2018 decided that uh, we had the opportunity to have a much broader impact by developing a firm that invests in a different way and in a way that is much more broadly applicable to many companies out there, whether they're on a unicorn trajectory, trajectory or, or if they're just you know, chugging along at 30% growth year over year, which is hard to do. And we're, we're actually really excited to work with companies like that, which kind of differentiates us from uh, your standard uh, uh, venture investor. A um, little bit of background before I found a novel, um, I, uh, I also co-founded another venture firm called Fulcrum Global Capital. Uh, yeah, Fulcrum Global Capital. It's been a while. I don't remember it. Um, uh, where we, uh, we were really focused on uh, ag tech. And, uh, uh, and before that, I actually invested on, the, on behalf of the state of Kansas through the Kansas Bioscience Authority. Uh, so I've been in the investment world now for uh, about 11 or 12 years. 
um, in a couple of different roles. And uh, uh, this is the one that, uh, uh, that I sort of built around a passion and, and I'm, uh, I'm really excited about what we're building today. So as, as far as getting into finance venture capital, what did that look like for you? Oh man. Okay. Yeah. So this is a long story. Um, uh, so I've been in Kansas city all my life, born here, raised here. Um, I, uh, in the nineties worked for a startup uh, that was called Birch Telecom that uh, if you were around in the nineties, you remember it cause it was in the paper all the time. It was a pretty high flying, uh, high growth company. And while I was there, I had the opportunity to do all kinds of really cool stuff. I, I worked for a guy who did, who he trusted me and he, and he let me just, he just let me do and get involved in projects that I probably had no business being involved in. Uh, and so I got at a pretty young age exposed to some really cool stuff and some, and some things that I would, I would actually call kind of bet the company kind of initiatives. We were a telecom company that, um, was hurtling toward an IPO in 2000 and then the uh, dot-com bubble burst and our IPO got pulled and capital dried up. And so we had to very quickly figure out how do we keep a high cash burn business alive um, in, a, in a place where <laughs> there is no cash to take in, right? Yeah. Um, and we had a lot of revenue. We were, pretty, we were generating revenue. We were just burning so much cash because we were very much on a, on, a, on a high growth trajectory and that costs a lot of money. Uh, and so, so I had the, the opportunity to to, to work when it was sort of a rocket ship work there, when it was a rocket ship in, in, in you know, upward. And also when we were trying to bounce along and figure out how to keep the company going. So I was able to do some really cool stuff around uh, software development, automation projects that were critical to the business, um, mergers and acquisitions uh, and company integration that was critical to the business. And all along the way, um, <laughs> you know, this company was funded by initially uh, a couple of venture capital firms, and then uh, and then also by KKR, the big private equity firm. Um, and uh, along the way, I, I just kind of decided, you know what, we kind of need to try the other side of the table, right? We kind of need to to end up on the venture capital side of the table, which um, was really terrible timing if you think about it, because in Kansas City in 2000, there were maybe two or three venture firms, if I remember right, and when the dot com bubble burst. Like that ecosystem just disappeared. So about the time I was like, hey, I'd like to get into venture, there was no venture in this town. So uh, I, but I, I, I waited and I, uh, I bided my time. Is that the past tense of bide? Uh, and, and, and looked for opportunities. And eventually in 2009, based on, you know, based on the experience that I built there and, and some subsequent roles around managing global operations, uh, for a couple of other companies, um, you know, Quintile, I worked with Quintile for a few years managing their global data centers. I ended up in a position at, uh, at Kansas Bioscience Authority where I was starting to make investment decisions. Uh, and, and so <laughs> that was a really long way of saying it took me nine years to get to the point oh my gosh. where I was able to do something, you know, remotely close to what I decided in 2000 that I wanted to do. So I was really lucky to, to land in that, in that position and in that role. Um, uh, and then from there, it's, you know, from there, I've, I've, I've just stayed in it and, uh, it's, it's what I, it's what I love. So, yeah, I guess the punchline to that is, um, it's hard to find a gig in this space. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's just, that's just the truth of it. It's hard to find a gig. Exactly. Like you mentioned it yourself. Um, it was hard and you ended up starting and being a co-founder and partner of Fulcrum Global <laughs> Capital. Mm -hmm. And then um, we also saw that like after you were at Fulcrum, 
Mm -hmm. uh, you transitioned to being a Kaufman Fellow for a while. Mm -hmm. So could you tell us yeah. a little bit more about your previous co-founding experience and uh, then um, what the Kaufman Fellowship is and what it was to you? Yeah, so um, so I've had the opportunity to, to help start or, or launch a couple of firms now. I, at, uh, at Fulcrum, uh, that was working with some partners. We came out of the Kansas Bioscience Authority altogether, and, and we were focused on building this ag tech uh, fund. Um, and, and so I was super excited to do that because, you know, I had, again, I'd set my sights on being in venture way back, and now it was, now I sort of arrived at the moment where I had the opportunity to build a fund, you know, not of my own, but with, with partners, a, a fund of, of our own. Uh, and so that was super exciting and it was hard, right? Starting anything from nothing is just super hard. And so we were out raising money. Um, uh, and I, I was, I was with that team for, Oh gosh, I don't even remember now a year, year and a half. Um, and along the way, one of the things that I started realizing, uh, and this is a, this was, this was a, a really critical uh, lesson for me along the way. I started to lose passion around, around the investment pieces. And if you know anything about venture, you know, once you close a fund, you're locked into that thesis for 10 years, right? So uh, I, I was just losing steam, frankly, around the idea of investing in ag tech for the next 10 years and perhaps for the, you know, the rest of my investing career. It just, it, it's, not a, it's not pejorative, it's not a slight on the, on the space or, or the guys that I was working with, I love those guys. Um, it just, I started to think, eh, I don't know if I really want to do this. This is just not, maybe this, this may not be the thing um, that I want to be my, my, you know, my big act or whatever. So is that a tough realization for you? How did you oh, realize yeah. that? Oh yeah. Um, look, that was, that was months of like emotional and intellectual chaos for me. Uh, and, and if you, if, yeah, my, and my wife would affirm that. <laughs> she, she, she would tell you that, yeah, you, you were, uh, and she, and she reminds me, do you remember how hard it was for you to, to, to just face the fact that you didn't want to do that? You, you didn't want to do, you didn't want to, you didn't want to go forward with that, uh, with, with that thesis. Um, it took a long time to get there. It took a long time to, to own the fact that, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm in a spot right now where I don't want to be. And, and, and also, but I'm also exactly where I want to be. Right. I'm in a spot that I've been aiming for for so long, but something's just not right. And, and what wasn't right was I, I just didn't like the thesis anymore. I just wasn't into it. And, and so, yeah, it was that was a really difficult realization. It took a long time to really get to come to grips with it. And then when I did, um, I was able to share that with my partners and, and we had an amicable uh, parting of ways and, and, and we're able to do it in a, in a friendly way. And, and that's not always the way that that goes down. That can be, you know, a really nasty situation. <clears throat> um, but uh, to their credit, um, they they understood, and 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 you know it was hard, but but we, we figured out a way to get to get through that. Um, and like I said, I, I love those guys, and I'm grateful to to them for for understanding where I was, you know, where I was on this. But so here's the thing. So as I was coming to this realization, I was also having, I was always, I was also wondering. Well, what the hell am I going to go do then, right? Like, I, I better come up with some kind of an idea. Um, and so I started thinking, well, you know, I've been talking to a lot of entrepreneurs, and I'm really excited about about funding entrepreneurs. I'm really excited about about helping entrepreneurs, but I'm not so sure that I have the um, 
I'm not so sure that I'm going to be a great, you know, single GP fund manager, right? A, a single GP fund manager is just one where, where I, you know, maybe I would be the only VC. I would go raise a bunch of money and I'd be the only one making investment decisions. Um, and there are a lot of people at the time doing that. Then I thought, you know, I could probably go raise some money, but I wasn't entirely sure that I'd be able to build a successful fund, right? And the last thing I wanted to do is 10 years later, look in the rear view and be like, ah, I was a mediocre fund manager and I'm never going to get to do it again, but at least I got to do it once. And that just didn't sound interesting to me. Um, and so as I was thinking more and more about it, I started to realize that I don't like the way that venture requires entrepreneurs to really be on a super high growth trajectory, right? Not every entrepreneur wants, wants to be on that trajectory. Um, and once you sort of inject the rocket fuel that is venture capital into a business, you have little choice but to burn that money and try to grow fast, right? And again, that's not pejorative about venture. That's the model. That's the way it works. And when it works, it works out beautifully. But it doesn't work for that many companies. And that was, for me, an important realization. There are so many entrepreneurs and companies out there that I've said no to and that I've shrugged my shoulders to when they said, well, who can I talk to? Because uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, entrepreneurs who had businesses with half a million bucks in revenue and are growing at 50% a year or a couple million bucks in revenue and they're growing 30% a year. You know, that just doesn't work for venture capital. Uh, and so uh, I started thinking there's got to be a way to help those entrepreneurs. So um, I was at a, a meeting uh, at the Kauffman Foundation. This doesn't have anything to do with Kauffman Fellows, by the way, but I'll get to that. Um, uh, uh, I was at a meeting at the Kauffman Foundation in April of 2017, thinking about all these things. And um, there were some folks there who had done revenue-based financing. There were a couple of entrepreneurs who had taken revenue-based financing and loved it. Um, there were a couple of investors who did revenue-based financing. And the more I talked to them, the more I realized this might be the model that I'm looking for. And so I left that meeting pretty charged up, pretty excited, um, did a whole bunch of research. Uh, I think I, I had 150 meetings or something like that over the next like 75 days with potential investors, entrepreneurs who I thought might be willing to take the capital and at least give me honest feedback about whether it was a good idea um, and service providers who could understand how it would work in practice. Um, and when I emerged from that, I was convinced, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And along the way, I shared the idea with uh, Carlos, who's now my partner. Um, uh, and he, uh, uh, he, he understood it immediately, gravitated toward the idea super fast because he was an entrepreneur uh, before, so eventually sold his company, but along the way struggled to, to find the right kind of capital. When I shared the idea with him, he was like, oh, man, I would have taken that capital in a heartbeat. Um, and so, uh, so then we, we ended up building, building Novel together. Um, so that's kind of my, 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 my co-founding experience. But one thing that I should say, uh, everybody knows it's hard to start a business, right? Everybody knows that that's it's just one of the hardest things you can do to build something out of nothing. It is no less hard to build a venture fund or a revenue-based financing fund from out of nothing. And at the end of the day, you're, you have to do the same thing. You have to go convince people to give you a lot of money to go invest, right? Um, and that's hard. <laughs> so so uh, I have a ton of empathy for founders who are out there raising money and trying to run a business because we do the same thing. We're doing it every day, just like, just like entrepreneurs do. Um, uh, so you asked me about the Kauffman Fellows. Um, that was a transformative experience for me. So the Kauffman Fellows actually started here in Kansas City back in 
2005, when uh, uh, Ewing Kaufman and his team at the foundation noticed that the venture capital industry was sort of aging out. There were a bunch of you know, old white guys who were leaving the industry because they were old. Uh, and, and the guys who were coming up in the industry were, there were a couple of problems. One, they were all guys. Two, most of them were just like spreadsheet people, right? They weren't, they'd never been entrepreneurs. They hadn't, they didn't really have the kind of um, building blocks for understanding entrepreneurship that the older generation of VCs had. And so he decided, uh, Mr. Kaufman, Mr. K decided we should build a fellowship program. And so they built a fellowship program where um, venture firms in Silicon Valley would uh, 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 attract and pay for, or, you know, uh, people would apply and then and they end up getting placed at fellowships on, on some of the premier uh, firms in the Valley. Uh, and eventually that program that uh, spun out of the foundation. It's now based in Palo Alto and I think has an office in Austin, as a matter of fact. Um, but uh, when I was at Kansas Bioscience Authority, I, 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 I wanted, I, I'm a person who learns in a couple of ways. I like to throw myself into subjects and bury myself in, in information and try to consume as much as I can. Um, and so, you know, I, I went into a class at Berkeley. It was a week long uh, executive education class about sort of the mechanics of venture capital, which was really, really helpful to me. I did that in I think 2012 or 2013. Uh, but I, what I really wanted was to get into the Kaufman Fellows Program because it by, by the time I was looking at it in 2014 and 2015, there were, I wanna say 400 or 500 fellows all around the world um, doing cutting edge stuff. Uh, and so I, I decided I wanted to get into that program. Um, <laughs> and I, uh, I basically wouldn't let them say no to me. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I was calling all the time, talking to the guy who was CEO at the time. Um, I, I just tried to stay in front of them and, and basically try to bother them as much as I could. So I was lucky to get uh, accepted in 27 or 2015 i graduated in 2017 that experience surrounded me with the just the most amazing people who were doing the most amazing things just i learned so much just by being around the people that were that were in my class um and when you know when the idea for novel came up and i started working on it the way that that, that my classmates were able to help me shape it and just sort of point it in the right direction and really get it moving. Um, it, it was a transformative experience for me. I, I recommend it. I would recommend it for anyone who's, you know, who's been investing in for a while and is, is looking for uh, uh, something that's going to kind of help accelerate their career and, 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 their, and their success. It was amazing. I can't say enough about it. That's awesome. <clears throat> that's awesome, Keith. I yeah. think I just talked. That was like a wall of words for like 12 straight minutes. We no, were, we were, we were three sponges. We were just absorbing it all. Yeah. Like that you, uh, you are great at storytelling. You kind well, of you. hit all of our points. We were like, we have notes that we try to like, make sure we hit, but you're just yeah. out here spitting it off. Uh, this is the stuff I love to talk about. This is easy. Yeah. It shows. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Keith. That was great. Um, so, so I guess, I guess, um, transitioning now into kind of, so that's, you kind of set the stage for transition to novel growth partners. So can you just tell us a little bit about, you know, you mentioned this with a little bit previously or alluded to it, but just kind of what makes novel growth partners unique uh, in the space? 
Yeah, of course. Um, so everybody probably understands venture capital as as kind of the the way that innovations get uh, get funded, right? Uh, uh, venture capitalists will buy equity in an early stage company, and and that equity eventually, um, when the company is sold, is what pays the venture capitalists back, and, and hopefully everybody gets rich and you know people become billionaires. That only works in a very small number of companies, right? The, the data, and it's not just me saying it, the data is actually really kind of staggering. Um, it's like a quarter of 1% of companies that are started in any given year get, uh, get money from institutional venture capital. Um, and that's really staggering, right? That makes venture capital, which is sort of the sexiest, you know, most talked about way to fund your business. It, it make, it, 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 it's a niche, <laughs> it's a tiny niche industry. Um, and again, that's not pejorative. The fact of the matter is it's just, it's, it applies to so few companies. Um, and so that's not what we do. Uh, we take a completely different approach. Instead of buying equity and, and, and trying to help a company get to some big um, exit and sale, we actually, uh, when we provide capital to a business, we start to get paid back pretty quickly. Um, and and it's, it's revenue-based financing. It works just like a royalty. So we actually, uh, once we provide the capital, we start to get paid back within, uh, within a couple of months, a royalty on uh, gross cash receipts. So it's not on P&L revenue or anything like that. It's actually the cash coming into the business from product and service sales. That's what we get, that's what we get paid on. And that's a really important um, feature because if you think about it, businesses, especially young businesses, there's a lot of volatility in, the, in their collection. There's a lot of volatility month to month in their cash position. And, and the way that we get paid, it accounts for that. So if a company doesn't collect a lot of cash in, in a month, then our payment's going to be really small. And in fact, if a company collects zero cash in a month, then our payment is zero because we, we, we get paid a, a percentage of that cash. And whatever the percentage is times zero is zero. Uh, and on the other side of the coin, if a company's really doing well in a particular month, then we get a big payment. So, uh, so that's how that's how we actually provide the capital and and, and get paid back. The uh, the way that it works is we usually do the deals are usually our investments are usually like three years long, maybe three and a half, and we do a, a multiple. We're looking for a multiple of the cash that we put in. So it's you know one and a half to two times the money that that we're investing. Uh, and once the company gets to that number, then then, then they're done. Um, and again, there's no equity. We don't, we don't have a board seat. We take, uh, we take a hands-off approach to the governance. But what makes us, I think, super unique in the market besides the way that we invest, which is, you know, I, I, think, I think interesting, um, is that we, we take a very uh, structured approach to how we work with the companies in our portfolio. So, you know, you, you hear, uh, venture capitalists talk about the value add that they provide to their companies. I'm sure you've heard that um, from VCs that, you, that you've talked to. Um, in some cases, that's real. They help companies like just shoot through the roof. But in most cases, honestly, that value add isn't really all that real. It's like, I know a few people in your industry, I'm gonna introduce you to those people. That's my value add. That value add, that Rolodex, it, it, gets, it, it, it gets exhausted pretty quickly, right? Um, and so we realized that going in, Carlos and I did. Um, and I realized it from, in, in, a, in a way where like, I, I would, when we had portfolio companies at KBA and beyond, 
I knew that there's just there's just a point where I can't really help you anymore. There's not a whole lot I can do um, besides sit on your board and sort of you know try to ask smart questions. Um, and so, so what we decided was let's take a really structured approach. Let's let's figure out what are the things that companies at this stage really need, and let's provide that right because. Not every company is the same, but most companies at these stages experience very similar challenges. And one of the things that Carlos and I believe fundamentally, it's almost like a religion, is um, sales is super critical, right? You've got to figure out sales. And so a lot of the companies that, that, that we had interacted with and talked to and helped and, and, and invested in over the years, um, we saw that the CEO is usually like, you know, maybe a technologist, um, uh, uh, you know, somebody who had great passion for the product or great passion for the, um, uh, for the market. And they're able to get a company just with that passion, just through grit and, and force of will. Uh, they're, able to be, they're able to generate revenue, maybe up to about a million bucks. But once you get to a million bucks, then you need a process. And if you've never been trained how to build a sales process, you've never been trained how to build a sales team, then you're going you're gonna to sputter. It just is what it is. You're going to sputter. It's going to be hard. You're going to learn a, hard, a lot of hard lessons. And so uh, Carlos and I decided, you know what? That's a problem that we can help solve. And so when we work with a company, once we, once we invest, um, we actually will do a couple of things that are, um, we think are super important. Um, one of the things we'll do is we'll actually allocate hours to that company to help them uh, help them improve their growth engine. So we actually have an operating partner in-house who's built sales teams at three startups. Two of those startups have exited. This guy knows his stuff. Uh, and we have a couple of folks um, who are you know, consultants, friends of the firm that we've worked with for years and years and years um, uh, who we can bring in too. And so no charge to the company in the portfolio, no charge to the CEOs we're working with. We actually bring this expertise to them and help them figure out what are some small projects that are going to have a massive impact that I can implement in my marketing world, in my sales world, over the course of 60 to 90 days that are going to have a meaningful impact? We also will help them do um, uh, uh, strategic planning. One of the other things that we, we knew from experience was when you're at a startup and you're running really hard and you're, and you're moving as fast as startup founders and, and teams do, it's hard to step back for a minute and really do strategic planning in a, in a meaningful way. And so we have a, a method that we use where we bring the teams out of their day to day. And for just a day, basically eight hours, um, we facilitate a strategic planning process for them. That's so easy to repeat that they can just, they can do it themselves next time. So it's not just doing it, doing it for them, but it's actually teaching them how to do it uh, so that they can continue to do it and flex that muscle over time. Uh, and, and then the other thing that we'll do is, again, back to the sales theme, um, we'll help companies actually uh, recruit and hire, select and hire uh, their next sales team member. Because one of the things that we know is hiring salespeople is super hard. And it's really easy to hire a bad one, and that will cost you six months of cash. So, so those is are it, the... Is it just because sales is, is hard? Or is it just, is it something people aren't interested in? So what do you mean? Like why is why is it hard to to hire sales compared to the other parts? Oh. Well, um, I'm so that's a good question. I'm not sure that it's harder to hire a good salesperson than it is to hire, say, a good engineer. But there are fewer people out there who know how to hire a 
good, a good salesperson that know how to hire a good engineer, right? It's really easy to look at an engineer's portfolio and, and background and say, okay, this person, you know, and test that engineer uh, for capability. Um, salespeople and hiring salespeople, there's a lot more, um, I don't know, art is the right word, but you have to bring a lot more experience to bear. You have to sort of uh, experience some failures and earn some scars so that you know what to look for in the good ones and what to avoid sure. in the bad ones. That makes sense. Yeah. So Keith, I, I love this idea of kind of this like value add and actually providing the company with like, you know, some critical resources for them to grow and scale. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious if you could just opine a little bit about kind of if you think, you know, in addition to giving companies these resources, how like revenue-based financing kind of enhances like the symbiotic relationship between, you know, a, a capital funding agency um, and the entrepreneur itself versus just the traditional uh, venture model um, where you're actually just giving them capital up front. I'm not sure I understand the question. I want to make sure I answer it. Yeah, sorry. So I guess in my mind, you know, in traditional venture models, you're, mm-hmm. you're giving a company capital in return for equity, whereas for you with revenue-based financing, it's more of a loan. Yeah. So I'm curious if you could, you could opine a little bit more about if you think that that strengthens kind of the collective incentives of both you as the capital provider and the entrepreneur as kind of, um, you know, the company that's, that's receiving the capital. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. So I think, you know, one of the, one of the things that I think is, is special about the model that we, that we use is we're really aligned with companies who are looking for growth, which is pretty much every company, right? How many companies you talk to are like, yeah, I'm just looking to, shrink a little bit and maybe stay flat. That just doesn't happen, right? So, so we're really, so, so that's, that's sort of a platitude, but, but where we also get really well aligned is um, companies and CEOs who are uh, focused not on like that next big fundraising round and like, I, I need to hit this milestone so I can get to this particular valuation, but uh, CEOs and teams who are looking at, I wanna grow, I wanna build an engine that I can continue to run and I can continue to grow. That's that's where we get really well aligned. And it does work well for us, right? Because how do we get paid back? We get paid back as they collect cash from their products and services. So if we can help them grow just a little bit faster, if we can help them bend their revenue curve just a little bit, then it benefits us too. Um, and so and so that's really good alignment, I think, um, with with the companies in, in, the, in the portfolio and with the CEOs that we work with. So you have completely sold me on the model that you use to invest and you (laughs) cemented your value add that you provide to founders. Um, But could you walk us through how do you identify these companies that fit this investment model? Are they, Mm -hmm. what are the criteria? Are they typically B2B, business to business, software as a service, SaaS companies? Yeah, so that's a great question. it's uh, so I'll start by saying this model is actually super flexible and you can use it across a number of different uh, industries. We right now, our focus is enterprise software companies. So, so B2B software, um, they don't have to be SaaS companies. We love SaaS companies. They're very easy to understand that revenue is very sticky and that's important to us. Um, uh, but we're also comfortable with, you know, just a just straight up old enterprise software company or tech, uh, tech enabled services. Um, so that's kind of the, that's sort of 
the highest level, but it has to be a company selling some sort of software product to, uh, to another business. Um, and then we have some criteria that we use to really figure out, okay, which, which companies that are out there are really going to be good fits for us. And, and it starts with revenue. It's tough to do revenue-based financing without revenue, right? So we have to have uh, a companies with at least half a million dollars in revenue over the trading 12 months. So we look very hard at what the company has been able to do. You know, traditional venture capital will look at will we be future looking more than anything. How big can this thing get? We're really paying attention to what has a company been able to do so far? And then based on what they've been able to do so far, what does it look like into the future? So revenue is critical. Um, uh, and we'll go up, we can, we can help companies up to uh, 5 million in revenue. So 500K to 5 million. Uh, we look for um, growth. I think I've, I've mentioned the, you know, our growth rate is uh, 30% or better, um, uh, which again is, is, is not super sexy from the, uh, from the venture capital point of view, but to us, 30% is pretty sexy. We can, that, that gets us pretty excited. Um, now we look for companies that are um, uh, not burning a whole bunch of cash. So we look for, for companies that have they don't have to be profitable, but they need to have line of sight on profitability, a plan to get to profitability. Um, if you think about it, uh, we're actually, when, when we invest, they are paying us money. So what we don't want to do is end up in a position where money coming out is harmful to the business. So we're really careful about the balance between revenue growth and what their burn looks like today. So that's why we like them to be, uh, again, not profitable, but at least on their way there. Um, Gosh, what else? Uh, we're investing all over the United States now. We started out thinking it was this was just going to be a problem in the Midwest. Turns out uh, there are companies all over the country that are looking for this kind of capital. So, so you talked a lot about the metrics of the companies themselves, mm -hmm. but um, how do you evaluate founders? I'm curious. Yeah, um, it's about we really try to align what they care about with what with what we think is important. Um, you know, I think I mentioned one of the, one of the key things is what does the CEO really want to accomplish? Um, and if that, if, if what the CEO wants to accomplish is I need to get out and, and raise my next big round, that's, they may not be a great fit for us. If, if the, if the, if the CEO of the company is trying to, or the founder is trying to, uh, just their focus on building the company and doing that in a, I'll say sustainable way. Uh, then that's a very good fit for us. But, you know, one of the really nice things about, about what we do is we don't have to, we don't have to be, you know, we have to sit across the table from an entrepreneur like a, like a traditional venture capitalist and just sort of look into their soul and, and see if they can run through walls, right? We, just, we don't have to figure that out. Um, all we have to do is be like, okay, this, this is somebody who has goals that make sense. They have the capability to execute on their plan and if we provide a little bit of capital, we believe that they're going to be able to continue executing. So there's not a lot of, you, know, you hear a lot of venture capitalists say, you know, it's, I got to look into your soul and believe that you can do it. And, and you know, you can, you can, you can run through a wall, but for us, you've, you know, from our point of view, you've you sort of already run through the walls, right? You started something, you've gotten to some level of revenue that's incredibly hard to get to. Um, so you've proven that you can do it. Now let's see if philosophically we're aligned around Sales and marketing is important. Growth is important. Cash is king, and, and cash is important. Um, uh, and 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 you know the, the plan is 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 sustainable. And I, I would imagine with a hands-on approach, you also look for 
to some extent, coachability. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the, <laughs> that's a good point. One of the, one of the things that, that we, that we really like to hear is curiosity, right? If a founder is curious about, Hey, how would you guys handle this? You know, in our conversations with the founder, they're like, I don't know, how would you handle that? That's a, that's a really good sign. If a, if a founder feels like they've got it all figured out, then we're probably, we're probably not a good fit and they may have it all figured out. They may, they may very well. Um, but uh, that usually means we actually spend a lot of time thinking about how we're going to help the companies. We spend a lot of time doing that. So if we're going to, if we're going to put that kind of effort in, we want to make sure that we're, we're, we're doing that with a, with a CEO who's, you know, who's, who's excited about, about that collaboration. Keith, I, that that's really interesting. And I, I got kind of a question about just one thing that I really appreciate about the model that you guys use is you kind of get these recurrent cash flows instead of having to wait for a long, over a longer time horizon for an exit in the, in the, venture, in the typical venture model. And I'm curious, just kind of what you're like, how quickly do you reallocate capital um, like for new investments typically as it's coming in? Does that that's make sense? That's a great question. As quickly as possible. Um, you know, as you can imagine, uh, if you think about the two, you know, two different kinds of investing that, that we're sort of talking about today, you've got venture on the one hand where you buy equity and then you hold, right? You just wait. And then maybe you invest again in that company, but, but it's, you're waiting as it, as it grows and tries to get to whatever the, the outcome is going to be. For us, we deploy our capital, we make our investment, uh, we start to get money back pretty quickly. And once the portfolio grows to a particular size, those checks that are coming in every month, it's a meaningful amount of money. And you want to put that back out into new companies as quickly as you can, because the faster you do that, the faster you're generating returns for your investors. And we've now got 24 companies in the portfolio. So we're, you know, we're very much in a mode where we're getting a lot of cash generated every month and we're trying to get it out back out the door pretty quickly. That's awesome. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. And I'm curious, just, just as a follow-up to that, yeah. Kind of, so you talked about having like kind of a 1.5 X to 2X return profile on a lot of these companies to like, for them to pay back. And I'm just curious what the reasoning for that is. Is it because that's kind of competitive versus getting like a bank loan or, or why do you guys have, have it for, as the 1.5 to 2X? Yeah, we think it's appropriate given the risk in these companies and, and the, the continuum there is, you know, 1.5 is sort of the more mature, you know, several million dollars in revenue company. Uh, and then up to 2x is the, you know, the much less mature, um, still a lot of risk, uh, uh, those kinds of companies are earlier stage. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, if you think about the continuum of, of cost of capital, which I think a lot of entrepreneurs struggle to really think about. Um, and understand because it's just, it's, it's hard to understand. It kind of goes like this. You've got revenue, which is your cheapest capital all the time. Uh, and then you've got banks, which if you can get, you should. You should get a line of credit or a loan from your bank because it's going to be cheap. Um, and then you've got uh, investors like us. You've got revenue-based financing, which is going to be more important or more expensive than your bank. And then you've got angel investors and NVCs. That's kind of the continuum of the cost of capital. And so, we, we fit kind of right in between, you know, banks and other kinds of lenders and, and uh, angels and, and VCs in terms of cost. No, yeah, that definitely makes sense. So, yeah, if you think about it, just to, to add one more thing about cost, if you think about it, 
angels and VCs, you know, they're looking for several multiples on their, on their money, right? Angels are looking for five, 10 plus X um, in, a, in a few years time. VCs are generally looking for, you know, VCs are really looking for hundred X on their money, right? They have to, they have to generate huge returns uh, in order to uh, justify, you know, the next fund. So, um, so when, and that's another thing that, that entrepreneurs, I think sometimes it's hard for them to uncover is what, what is the true cost here? And it's really tough with an equity investment to understand that going in, it feels cheap. Um, you know, you're getting diluted as a, as a, as an entrepreneur, you know, you're selling equity. And so your ownership is diluting uh, or getting diluted. Um, but it's really hard to know, okay, how much is that dollar that I just took actually going to cost me when I sell my company? Is it going to cost me $2? Or is it cost me a thousand dollars? And that's one of the things that I think the entrepreneurs that, that work well with us and that we, and, and that, you know, that, that respond to us really positively understand that, okay, I know exactly what your money's going to cost me and it's not going to cost me a dollar more. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I'm curious, kind of going back to this question about kind of like the, the risk profiling, um, what I guess what are the biggest risks you see associated with this model? Like if someone defaults on their loan um, or or something like that, like what and how do you kind of I guess you know deal with those risks? Yeah, you know I think um, we're really careful about the companies that we that we invest in. So we do a lot of work to make sure that revenue you know revenue is real. Um, uh, that it's sticky, that it makes, you know, we, we believe that they're going to continue generating revenue at a certain pace. Um, and so we don't have a huge amount of concern, frankly, around just a company going to zero, um, which you would have with a venture portfolio because that's possible. Um, but certainly there's, you know, there, there's certainly the, ca- the, the case where a company you know, stops growing and starts declining, um, or, you know, 18 months in, um, goes kapooey because something, you know, catastrophic happens, they get sued or something like that. Those things, those things, those things are risks, um, that we account for and that we, that we work with. Um, but, uh, but, but those are, those are the big ones, the big ones that we think about The, the way that we approach the investing that we do tries to eliminate as much of the uh, risk that is, you know, that, that you would see in a venture portfolio right out of the gate. But you oh, asked yeah. me, what's the biggest risk? And I, so biggest risk, um, hmm, that's, that's tough to say. I think, uh, I think the biggest risk with any particular company would probably be, would probably be that, uh, you know, there's always the chance that a company will stop growing and start declining. That would be the biggest, you know, broadly, that's the biggest risk. But there are other risks too out there like fraud um, and that kind of stuff that we, you know, we, we do a lot of work to make sure we control for those things too. Awesome. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you. So Keith, you have taught me so much today <laughs> about um, new ways to kind of be of service to founders and to restructure the way we think about venture capital. Um, and I'm so happy to hear that you've been having success with this model, that you've been able to test it and figure it out and the, the machine is cranking away. Yeah. Um, and thank you for sharing all of the stories of, about the times that weren't so successful. Um, and you know, right now is a tough time for a lot of people for a number yeah. of different reasons. 
So would you mind just telling us a story about a time that you were stuck and how did you unstick yourself? Oh, wow. I think, you know, actually, I think I would go back to um, the story that I was, that I told about, about Fulcrum, where I, I was just, I was in a position where my, I was not aligned with what I was doing every day, right? Um, and, and there were just, getting up and doing it every day became hard just because I, it wasn't what I wanted to be doing. Uh, and, and the way that I ended up getting through that uh, was, uh, boy, a, a lot of, a lot of reflection and a lot of uh, talking with my wife um, who at, at some point along the way, I was kind of like, man, you got to do something about this. You can't just, say you don't feel like you're lying it, it, this can't keep out of the same conversation um and so so the way that i mean really gosh this is such a good question um the way that i got through that particular thing was i i explored it i reflected i talked about it um and i figured out you know what my what my what the better option for me would be and the better option for me was to 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 pull back to eject myself and free myself up to figure out whatever was going to happen next. I know I know real plan, um, but to be able to to just sort of have the courage because it was scary as hell um, to say I, I I don't know what I'm going to do exactly, but I got to step out of this thing and go. I got to find something that lights my fuse um, and go do that. Just wow, thank you. I think that I think that that sentiment alone resonates with everyone who's ever struggled through something. Yeah. Having to come to the realization that maybe what you wanted wasn't what you thought you wanted. What do you do? Where do you mm -hmm. go? And how do you how do you double down and take a bet on yourself? And I, and I think that's I think that's actually really important. And I think people probably people get trapped and they don't think about this very much, but. But it's a lesson that I've carried forward, and it's something that I I I talk to people about, not frequently, but maybe not infrequently. I think it's super important to check in with yourself on a pretty regular basis about, am I, are you doing? And I, this is how I do. I check in with myself on, okay, am I excited about what I'm doing, and am I doing, am I doing what I think I can do? Right? Am I am I hitting um, my potential? at this point in my career and in my life. And if the answers to those questions start to deviate from, oh yeah, for sure, then 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 for me it's like, okay, I need to reflect on this. And either I need to get realigned with what I'm doing, or I need to, I need to dig into what is the thing that's got me sort of sideways. Um, or, you know, in the case of like I said, you know, with the Fulcrum, it was like, okay, this isn't right for me. And I need to go do something else. This is this has been wonderful. We greatly appreciate all your time. Um, just to kind of wrap up and, uh, you know, conclude, conclude this awesome interview and tie it up yeah. with a nice bow. Um, can you tell us just any general advice that you'd have for founders? This is a founders lab podcast, just one final kernel of truth, um, mm. for anyone looking to start their own business. We are really taking as much advice from you as we can possibly get this interview. You have been a gold mine. <laughs> well, uh, th thank you. That's very nice. Um, 
Wow. If, if I, if I wanted to, if I wanted, if I came to you, Keith, and I was like, I want to start a company mm-hmm. next week. Don't do it. It's so hard. Don't do it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, well, don't you want to invest? <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. You know what? Here's, here's the thing. It is so hard to start a business. Um, I think. I think if you're going to, if, if that's what you want to do, you have to make sure that you have what you've probably heard this term before, but you have to make sure there's founder market fit, right? You have to make sure that you are a fit for what you're doing so that it's not just, you know, I have an idea to make money that's you're going to run out of steam. And so the, the advice that I would give to anybody thinking about this is, okay, do it, but make sure make sure this is going to get you out of bed for the next five to 10 years, right? Make sure that this, this idea, this passion is going to really drive you because it's hard and you have to have that drive uh, when, when things go sideways. That's awesome. Keith, where can we find out more about you? Oh, uh, <laughs> well, okay. Our websites, uh, uh, you can find, uh, find our website for novel growth partners at novelgp.com. Um, uh, you can find me on Twitter, although I don't tweet that much. I'm not that probably interesting to follow. Quality over quantity. Uh, exactly. At Keith KCVC. Um, um, and uh, those are probably the best, best places to find me on our website and on Twitter. Sweet. Thanks again for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, Keith. It was great talking to you. Likewise. Thanks, Keith. Awesome talking to you. Yeah, likewise. Thank you.